0: Welcome to the Media Navigators podcast, brought to you by the World Media Group. My name is Belinda Barker, and I'm the Chief Executive. Today, we have a bumper episode for you. Not one, but three creative media innovators, each with different areas of expertise. Firstly, I'd like to introduce you to Alex Wood. He's the Managing Director of Forbes Europe but also an innovator and entrepreneur in his own right. Starting his own business, he's also a visiting lecturer and ex-editor of Forbes. Welcome, Alex.
1: Thanks, Belinda. Great to be back. Uh,
0: Secondly, or not secondly at all, I shouldn't say that, uh, I'd like to introduce you to Damien Douglas, who's Managing Director of Time EMEA, and currently the president of the World Media Group. Welcome, Damien.
2: Thanks, Belinda. Nice to be here with Alex and Raquel.
0: And um, thirdly, and most importantly, we have Raquel Boubar. Now, Raquel is the managing director of T-Brand Studios International at the New York Times, who has been both a winner and a judge for the World Media Awards, but in different years. Welcome, Raquel. Thank you. It's great to be here. Great to see everyone. Media creativity is a massive topic, but we want to approach the topic grounded by um, consumer behaviour and not just the latest whiz-bang gizmo. We should caveat that by saying that consumer, when we are talking about consumer behaviour, we are specifically talking about the consumers of great journalism brands. They are educated, influential, and above all, interested in the wider world. So I'd like to start this podcast off um, with a question to uh, Alex, who was um, previously editor of of Forbes. Um, And I'm hoping that he'll be able to give us some insight into how our consumers have um, Uh, change their behaviour or not, as the case may be, um, during the pandemic period and and, uh, any trends you see coming out of that?
1: There's been so much change throughout the pandemic period, but the, the first thing that comes to mind for me is actually virtual events now all of us out there have been experiencing virtual events they've become second nature but i think the most surprising thing for me and for us at forbes as well has been actually the realization that it opens the door to more people obviously at forbes we have a lot of events that are very exclusive very small audiences whether it's under 30 or the power women's summit but having those people in the room is powerful but actually giving people a seat virtually gives them a seat at the table. The kind of people who can't get into a high profile room in New York where there's only 200 people. And so the thing that's really surprised me is one, I don't think we've had virtual event fatigue yet and people are still dialing in. And two, I think it really is here to stay. And it's here to stay because it's allowing people to have more access to events. And I think It seems like such a long time ago we were talking about things like Black Lives Matter and about equity. And actually that conversation is just as important as it was back then. And so I think virtual events are a big part of that future conversation.
0: Um, Have you seen any changes in the way people um, and what they want to consume in, in the types of content that they
1: are moving to? I definitely have a personal experience to share from this. So at the beginning of the pandemic, um, I was seconded over to our international breaking news desk. um, and was teeing up the coverage from Europe ready for when the US were waking up. And of course, our audience were looking for the hot takes, you know, the breaking news coming out of Italy, coming out of Madrid, coming out of the UK as coronavirus was developing. And we saw, as, as all of our peers saw as well, huge surges in traffic. But actually, the trend more recently has been shifting towards what we call our day two takes. So what we're really doubling down on is this, is the more considered premium journalism, the more analytical pieces, because my sense as someone who's worked in editorial for a long time is that actually we've all been spending a lot of time at home. Yes, we were glued to the news when, when things were moving fast, but now actually we're all taking a bit of a step back. And we're wanting those more considered pieces of journalism. And so that's what I'm seeing. The trend is really cutting through the Google News noise and actually having a more thoughtful and more considered journalism that delivers and engages with people.
0: Interesting. And has that been a similar experience for, for Time and the New York Times? Damien?
2: Um, for us, absolutely. I, I agree with, um, with Alex. Uh, and you look at the types of events we're delivering now versus the types of events we, we're delivering at the start of the pandemic, there's been a huge evolution in that space as well. Um, uh, when you think about utility, and I think that's the other thing to bring into this, um, events tend to be on demand, and if you're not in, in the room, you miss it. Um, our ability to now dial back in, segment our event's content, and distribute a conversation uh, offers an entirely different dyna- dynamic. Um, and when we look at... Uh, numbers engaging in the live environment versus numbers engaging in an on-demand environment. This is something that events can't or couldn't deliver um, when they were pure play in person. So it um, gives us a ton of flexibility, allows us to dial into video, um, which we see huge growth across as well. Um, so yeah, notionally, absolutely agree with Alex. Um, here to stay for us as well. Um, you know, We're working through an events programme this year that includes both in-person and virtual and a mesh of both together. Um, so yeah, they're, they're they're here to stay on our calendar
0: too. And Raquel, Alex was talking about um, the being more analytical and and the importance of you know premium content. It, it, does that um, resonate with the New York Times? Oh, ab- absolutely. So we are thinking more and more about how
3: data and content work together. One kind of informs the other. We're thinking a lot about interaction and engagement. Measurement is really key, especially when it comes to understanding what people want to learn about, what they want to read right now. I think that informs both both the newsroom and the advertising side and what we, we do want to bring to brands, what stories we want to be telling for brands. So yeah, data plays a huge role in the storytelling piece
0: great and um alex um with the exception of of um virtual events have there been any other um new ways that you have have been connecting with your consumers
1: in in recent year Uh, in, in one word i think newsletters newsletters have been absolutely huge it's Interesting, again, for me personally, um, my own business many years ago was very much centered around a newsletter. And it seems like newsletters are the perennial trend that just keep coming back around in media. And they're just such an important way, an important channel to engage with readers. And one word that we're using internally a lot at the moment is primary engagement and having that real close, tight relationship um, with our readers. And so newsletters, particularly for a business like Falls, which is such a broad church, At on the one end you've got under 30s, we've got our 50 over 50 list, you've got CMOs, C- CFOs, CIOs. We have so many different disparate business communities that really our newsletter strategy has been a core cool way to be able to have a stronger, deeper relationship with those people. And we're really seeing as we, like many of our peers, are transitioning to more of a subscription model as well and a metered paywall model, it's just such a key way to be able to keep that engagement going.
0: Um, Raquel, I I understand uh, podcasting has been something that's been very big for the the New York Times. Um, Could you share a little bit about that and any other innovations that you, you... Oh, yeah.
3: Alex, I think in the same way you all are seeing newsletters, we are seeing audio as a huge source and of opportunity, both for subscribers as another reason they want to join the New York Times and subscribe to the New York Times and brands who want to be a part of these hit shows that we have. We have The Daily with millions of listeners every month. We have Modern Love. We've acquired Serial. Um, we're about to launch one in the UK, a story specifically about Trojan Horse, which was a scandal in Birmingham about the school education school system. So we, our audio is really where brands want to be. Um, but I would also add that we're thinking less about individual opportunities at the New York Times and more about the whole ecosystem of all of this kind of content and spaces and platforms and how they interact with one another. So newsletters, as you said, and audio and display and articles and events and all of that coming together is a much larger opportunity for for readers and for brands to play. So it's a new way of thinking.
0: Now, this is slightly, this is definitely off script because I've just uh, remembered that, of course, you purchase Wordle this week yeah, we do um, yeah. and having so having having started this conversation about the uh the you're growing with a more analytical premium content obviously wordle fits in in a different sphere how how does that fit within the within the strategy yeah well we have a huge commitment to
3: news right quality news of course and then also trying to play a role in people's lives in all sorts of areas so Wordle fits into the New York Times games, which is hugely popular subscriber base. Uh, We also have cooking, which is part of everybody's lives and took off during the pandemic when everybody was stuck at home wondering what should I be doing with my time. And then um, we also are thinking more about sport and how do we really enrich that element of the news coverage. And so we've also acquired the athletic uh, which is, I know a lot of people because uh, I've I've heard from friends and colleagues that the Athletic is also huge in the UK subscriber base. So it's part of the New York Times mission too, and it just aligns really well. So we are uh, very excited about Wordle and um, and the Athletic right now.
0: Um, Damien, I know that um, time you uh, have newsletters are important um, to you, but that you've just launched. Um, a, a newsletter specifically around the metaverse, which was kind of the next topic that we wanted to to move into. Um, I guess uh, I I I kind of got a two part question. One is what prompted you? What what was the the rationale behind behind the the newsletter itself? Clearly, y- you consider the metaverse to be Im- important. Um, but also um y- if you could expand a little bit about what the metaverse, what, what the implications are for uh media in, in general, but but in specifically for journalism brands.
2: Okay. Um, I'll try and tie it to the last conversation because I think there's some similarities. Um we're moving from push, um into participation, if you like. And I think what audio does, uh, what newsletters do, or briefings, as we call them, do, uh, is they're highly engaged, they're opt-in. Uh, so people want to come to them because they see them as high value. I think typically, uh, as brands over the last 10 to 12 years, we've tended to push messages at people uh, rather than have them engage and participate in a conversation. I think notionally, uh, that's kind of the, what the metaverse is going to be designed to do. Uh, is to have people and communities enviro- uh, engaging in environments they want to be in uh, with like-minded people. Uh, but we're still at the you know really early stages of metaverse. And I think one of the interest areas for time um, is, you know, we want to cover things that we think are going to impact both business and society fundamentally. Um, and the metaverse is a natural next step for us, given um, we've got, you know, Generation Z, and alpha coming through and they're going to be fully immersed digital natives. They, they grow up with tablets. They won't look at print in the same way that we look at print. So, you know, um, that's a a really interesting dynamic. Um, The advertising piece, and I think, I think advertising is too narrow. Uh, I think we kind of need to move away from advertising and think about media and think about communications and think about participation. Um, But it is going to be incredibly exciting. It's, there's over five billion dollars invested from a VC perspective into this market last year, so that's a huge signal. Um, the second signal is, you know, I looked at some Bloomberg Intelligence research, um, and they forecast this market to be worth over eight billion dollars, eight hundred billion dollars, sorry, by by 2024. So those are massive, massive signals. You look at Microsoft's recent acquisition at 68, 69 billion dollars. People are gearing up um, for what is likely to be uh, a very virtual 3D future um, that lives alongside what we would term our real-world scenarios. Um, We maybe not see it because you know we're we're generationally slightly older, um, but younger generations aren't going to disseminate in the same way between what is the real world um, and what is the virtual world. They're as conscious about how they show up in a virtual world, uh, about as, as as they are in a real world. Um, so that opens up a massive, massive, massive playground. Uh, and I think what we've seen certainly over the last twenty-four months um, is brands playing in that area, um, because Web three should deliver the same type of consumer economy in the metaverse as we get in the real world. You should be able to take. Your $5,000 Gucci handbag, which no doubt we've all read about, um, from environment to environment. It stays with you. You can wear it. Um, and that's what kind of tokenization should allow us to do. Um, but it's all being driven by Web3. And if you think um, Web2 has allowed us to, to, to access information and social experiences, uh, Web3 should pull together people, places, and things um, freely in an unwalled garden when I think if we look at Web2, it's quite distinct wall gardens owned by our huge tech conglomerates. Um, I think the big challenge here is around creating a level of collaboration where everybody plays to create together um, and do it in a a fair digital economy because we're going to need AR, VR, cloud, blockchain, digital currency um, to, to enable it. And that's what feels like the biggest challenge to me. But I think it's gonna open up creativity in a very different way, but don't think billboards, um, think experiences, uh, and then think about sectors like entertainment, education, sports. um, They've previously required lots of people to come together in the same geographical spaces. um, And now we're not bound by geography, uh, you can have artists communicating to tens of millions globally um, to drive some value back towards artists and creators when previously it's been driven away from artists and creators because uh, traditionally they get royalties by selling records and CDs or paintings. And uh, I think tokenization changes things by NFTs. And I think we've seen that NFT space kind of take off significantly in the last 12 months. But I, I know that the guys will have... Um, Maybe I have slightly different opinions, um, but keen to hear what they, what their opinions are.
0: Well, I'd like to bring um, Alex in now um, to t- uh, talk about. You know, if, if you read the trade press at the moment, literally everything is about the metaverse. Um, you know, you, you get the impression that that if you're not Spending your one hundred percent of your time out out there in the metaverse, then then you, you're an idiot and you're behind the times. Um, so I, I'd like to get a sense of, um, yeah, <laughs> how does it fit within the real world? You know, there is the real world is still existing out there. How 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 much? How important is, is this? How, how much of our time should, should we be worrying about this as marketeers?
1: So I, I have a lot of feelings about the metaverse. Um, wearing a few different hats here. So as I mentioned um, previously, I have an editorial background in tech journalism. And anyone that works in tech journalism fo- follows the hype cycle with great interest. And I just have this deep sense of deja vu. And um, this reminds me so much of the times when uh, we were looking at VR and AR and Second Life years and years ago. And, you know, you couldn't go a day without someone saying the future of journalism is VR, or the future of journalism is augmented reality and so on and so forth. And of course, I would be foolish to say that it's not going to become a thing and there will be elements of it that will become every day. I just can't help but feeling that this is actually, we've created this term that no one ever wanted no one asked for this term and i think it's a catch all term to try to kind of bucket together a lot of technologies that really have not come of age no matter how hard you try to make vr a thing it's awkward clunky geeky nerdy and no one likes anyone watching watching someone with a headset on it's just strange and it's just not very human and i think if i'm if i'm going to be really honest and this is me wearing my academic hat as a lecturer as well, because I I talk to my students a lot about this, about being careful and being mindful when introducing new technology, because I love innovation, but we've got to be careful. I really do feel that in the time that we've been living in, where we've all been quite disconnected, what we really should be looking for is authentic connections. And I think that that's what, uh, as media owners, as publishers, that's what we should be thinking about. And some of the conversation we were just having about having that direct relationship with the reader is somewhere that I personally think we should be investing so much more energy in right now. People want authentic communication. I don't think people necessarily want to um, walk around the metaverse with a Gucci handbag yet.
2: I may be proven wrong. Yeah, I, I, I agree with the sentiment as well. Like I'm a uh, conscious observer. And I've been interested over the last three or four months. Um, but it is such an interesting space. But people are spending real, real money in it as well. And that's, and that's where you, you know, there is a value in that. And at the moment, it's quite niche. Um, if you look at crypto communities, they're quite narrow still. Um, and NFT communities, they're still quite narrow. Um, but there is generationally, and this is why it's, it's miles away um, at the moment, you know, people are predicting five or 10 years, but that's born out of collaboration. Um, generationally, people are going to get more familiar with these environments, as the environments hopefully um, advance, um, you know, at the moment, what have we got, we've got gaming companies which have got twenty years ahead on everybody else because this is all gaming theory, um, and when that comes into what we would term kind of real world with real sector analysis, um, there's going to need levels of regulation. Uh, there is no governance, um, so people are going to want to govern. Um, and regulate and that will build um time into a development plan without a doubt
0: okay slightly off topic here but for me as a as a consumer um my worry is um the polarity that any any content that is Provided to you purely by AI, which is what we experienced with, or we are experiencing with, with social media, that that is is going to be uh, enhanced within the metaverse. Perhaps I'm misunderstanding ha- how it all works. It could could there be uh, uh, an impact? Are there implications for authentic journalism? if and when the metaverse becomes uh, more substantive than it is at the moment. Um, I don't know who best to ask about this. Raquel, is, is... I would just... Yeah. I would just say that there's always going
3: to be place for quality and trustworthy news and outlets. I think we saw that in the elections of 2016 and again in 2020, We're seeing a resurgence of fake news, you know, even today. All of that brings forth the need for really important quality journalism that people can trust. So I think there may be a hybrid world in which people are going online and they are reading something for fun. But then at the same time, they need to know, is this source something that I can trust at the end of the day? So... I don't think that it's going to replace that need, and I do think people of all ages and all generations want to to know the facts, and they want to know um, the sources that the information comes from.
2: Yeah, and I and, know and Alex will definitely have an opinion on this. We, we're a, we're custodian, aren't we, of of truth and integrity and facts, um, which is why we're very important. So we, in a sense, um can bring a level of governance if you like uh, by keeping people honest i read a piece yesterday i can't remember where it's from so i'm not going to quote it back um and it was about big tech investing a lot of money into this space and everybody kind of going no that's not what we want um because over the last 10 to 12 years um it's been proven to be um not as truthful an environment uh, uh, an environment that drives polarity as you said um so I think we're not in a position to watch big tech take over this space in the way they in the way they have taken over web two. Um and I think it's the consumer that should own the journey. But I think you know Alex would definitely have an opinion. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more and I think
1: I love what you were saying about that, that idea that people are coming back to truth and trust. And that's what we saw during the pandemic. And I think as, as media owners, we really need to reinforce that message that we are the space of trust and truth. Um, and really just this, this deja vu feeling for me... It, it, Reminds me for back around sort of 2013, 2014, when blockchain Bitcoin was kind of really in its ascendance. And I remember a story I wrote back then about the number of AIM listed companies that had added the word blockchain to their name just to see the share price going up. And I feel that that's what's happening with metaverse as well. And so to be you know really clear that my issue with the metaverse is more that you can't define it. And it is just such a broad church that I don't think any academic has actually done. Instead, it's in the same way that blockchain can be loosely defined by some people or some people say they're a blockchain company when they're not. It's that kind of sense of hype on the hype cycle that I'm sort of sitting here in this slightly sceptical corner. But I'm I'm willing to be challenged by anyone else in the World Media Group. I'd love to sit down over a pint and in real life, Definitely. not in the metaverse. Okay.
0: Okay. Um. So we need to kind of. Uh, I'd just like to finish off this conversation and, and perhaps get the, move back to kind of the the commercial world, which is how advertisers and marketeers can can you know engage in, in these uh, different worlds, um, and uh, you know content marketing is such uh, uh, so important now in. in all forms of messaging but i I'd, I'd really like to to ask raquel about you know what are the key trends uh you at the New york times are experiencing in terms of of content marketing uh you know the themes the you know uh, are they going out into the metaverse you know what 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 are the key themes you' are experiencing it's a great question we are seeing so many
3: different trends happen at once we are seeing brands who want to talk a lot more about culturally relevant topics we want uh to be able to help them with those those topics they want to tackle really challenging questions you know things like what do brands stand for in society what relationships do they have with consumers and communities how can they make a positive impact on the world and so when they're talking about these things they want to have someone who is there to advise them on how best to do it because not every brand can credibly and authentically talk about every topic. Um, at the New York Times, we see a lot of advertisers come to us who want to talk about sustainability and climate change because the New York Times, we have one of the largest, if not the largest climate desk of any news publication on the planet. And that is that means that we... Brands want to be around that content. Um, we're also focused on diversity, equity, and inclusion. These are issues that brands are wrestling with right now. So they want to they want to speak about more meaningful and purposeful topics. And we see that across the board. Um, another another trend that we are seeing is travel. Used to be a huge category for us in branded content. Um, I think everybody would would say that in the industry and obviously with the pandemic and consumers not traveling as much um, and governments restricting their borders, it kind of left a space for other advertiser categories to start speaking out more about these hot topics. Pharmaceutical companies are speaking out more, technology, energy, they all want to speak now and have kind of filled that, that, that void, that vacuum. So there's so many trends that are happening, so many changes, and it's just the world that we live in. Everything seems to be evolving, even in the advertising
2: space. Yeah. Um, on that, like, I think well, we, brands are having to tell people who they are again, which is great for us. Um, you know, we saw kind of uh, conscious consumerism, if you like, has um, come back hugely. Uh, people are interested in where their goods and services are coming from, who made them, um, How were they made? Uh, Are they authentic? And that means brands kind of have to focus a little bit less about the end consumer, more about the brand, because we consider where we purchase from. Impact investing is the same in in, in the financial world. I think most of the financial conversations now tend to be around ESG and impact investing doing good, um, which is a relatively small proportion of their businesses comparatively to their investment banking arms. Um, But it's a changing conversation entirely uh, because. Our economic situation, our social situation is dictating that we need to change quite quickly. Um, You know, what did the the UN describe it as a decade of action, right? Um, So we've got, what, eight years in front of us to make real transitional change. Brands are a huge part of that because of the IP, intellectual property, um, research and development capacity, capital. Um, They need to be part of a conversation. Um, And I think as as time, um, our role is to champion them on their journey, if they have a journey. Um, so, you know, we launched Time 100 Companies for its second year in, I think, two months, uh, which focuses on impact and influence rather than numbers. Um, and, you know, we, we featured BP two years ago, uh, sorry, last year, um, because Bernard Looney came out and made some very bold statements around their sustainability journey. Yeah, the big oil and gas, um, but he set them on a path to net zero, which should be applauded in the same way. Um, that we should applaud, applaud pure-play clean energy companies. You know, there's a seat at the table for everybody. It's about having a plan um, and being accountable to that plan, um, as we all will be over the next eight years.
0: Has it, does it change the relationship that you have uh, as a media brand when talking to uh, a brand? Um, Raquel, is that something you could? Yeah. Oh, oh. the relationship has changed, yes. It used to
3: be, I think, that an advertiser could come with maybe their press release or um, a mission statement, and we would essentially be asked to create that in branded content form. I think we, maybe we even at the time didn't think or question so much Their story that they wanted to tell. Now I think it's not just expected, but it's a requirement of all, all marketers and advertisers at publishers to to say to that brand: Can you back this up? Like, have you actually put your money with? Where your mouth is, have you taken actions? If you're going to talk about diversity, equity, inclusion, have you really thought about that at the board level? We wouldn't want to put something out there if they couldn't, if they couldn't credibly back that up. And so yeah, so now I think the relationship has changed and they do look to us for that advice in a way maybe they they didn't need it to in the past.
0: One last question, because I realized I, I could carry this conversation on all morning, but we have already run over time. Um, but uh, what um, what implication does the context have um, in creating best engagement? I think that's a great thing. I think everybody here
3: will probably want to comment a little bit on this. I You know, the context is almost two parts. It's the context of the world that we're living in, the pandemic, um, where we are with climate change and sustainability, uh, uh, global racial reckoning of, of who we are as a society. So there's that context that brands have to speak in. And then there's the context of where they physically advertise and physically live. And that's where publishers can come in, because we talked a little bit about trustworthy destination and um, being a place for credible news and innovative news outlets. So there's so there are so much there's so much context that makes it so much more complicated for advertisers to play in the space. More now now more than ever, I think.
0: buts. Really interesting. I'm. I'm sorry. I, I don't have time to bring both Damien and Alex in on this because I'm. Not, uh, I'm sitting there watching them. And they desperately want, want to join in. Um, we have got to finish this now. But I would just like to say, you know, the World Media Group. It is all about celebrating uh amazing content and. Uh, If you haven't uh, come across the World Media Awards before, then please do go to our website because the awards are open now. We have 10 very um, distinct categories uh, and we have a new one this year for rising stars in in content marketing Uh, One um, uh, element that you you have to consider is is that your campaign must have targeted a minimum of three countries. There really aren't any other uh, rules beyond that. Um, So do please go to the website and download the forms, and we look forward to seeing your brilliant work. Um, And the deadline is May, so you've still got plenty of time to enter them. Um, and with that, I would like to thank um, uh, my amazing guests this morning. Um, who are uh, so? Thank you very much to Damien for joining us.
2: Mm-hmm. Pleasure, and
0: Raquel. Thank you. Brilliant to see you, thank you and for Alex. Us. Thank you as well. Thank and you. I hope um, that you will join us again soon for our next podcast. Um, And uh, if we're really lucky, maybe I can persuade one of these great guests to to join us again next time. But thank you very much for joining us. The World Media Group is an alliance of the world's leading international media organisations that connects brands with highly engaged influential audiences in the context of trusted and renowned journalism. For further information, please go to our website, world-media-group.com. Thank you.